Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with a true Renaissance man. Absolutely amazing career that he's put together. First time I came across him, he was talking sports and something he loves. And I'll tell you what. Uh, after all of these years, after all of these years, he's uh, he's up to probably close to uh, 50 million copies sold worldwide on his uh, on his books. He's uh, he's written seven number one bestsellers, uh, just absolutely amazing. His latest is The Stranger in the Lifeboat, but uh, his charity work has been uh, absolutely uh, amazing. I. I think, if I remember correctly, it was out of Detroit, and I have some ties to Detroit, the Dream Fund. And if I'm mixing that up, he'll correct me, but um, uh, just amazing work in and around uh, the city there and so many things. But still now, it still does tremendous uh, work. And again, The Stranger in the Lifeboat, written by Mitch Albom. Uh, Mitch, how are you? Hi, Frank. Thanks for having me on your program. Well, listen, thrilled to have you. And and uh, listen, before we get sidetracked, uh, give us a little overview of the book and, uh, and, and tell us how you feel about it now that it's out. Well, it just came out a few days ago, and it's a novel, and the premise is pretty fantastical. It's, it's uh, this rich luxury yacht full of some of the most famous people and rich people in the world, and it mysteriously explodes in the middle of the ocean. And only 10 people survive, half of them the rich guests and half of them the staff members. And they manage to get into this life raft, and they're floating out at sea for three days, and nobody's coming for them. There's no planes. There's no boats. They're running out of food and water. There's sharks. And they're crying out, of course, in desperation for help. And suddenly they see this body floating in the water, and they pull it into their raft, and it's alive. It's a, it's a young guy, kind of nondescript, average-looking guy. And he doesn't say anything, and they pepper him with questions. And finally, one of the passengers says, well, thank the Lord we found you. And he says, I am the Lord. And it goes from there. Uh, and, you know, and it, uh, you know, they, that's kind of the 30-second trailer to set it up. Wow. <laughs> Listen, you got me hooked. And uh, look, just in time for Christmas, I know a lot of readers, and, uh, and it's uh, a perfect gift to give. But Wow. Uh, just I, you blew me. I wasn't expecting that, you know, at the, uh, at the <laughs> let, let me ask you, when you when you start out writing a book like this, uh, uh, how much develops that surprises you? Uh, or do you know, like right away where, where you're going with it? Is it, uh, it do you automatically know where you're going from uh, from the concept or do you surprise yourself along the way? Well, plot wise. I surprise myself, and it's part of the fun of writing, you know, because things keep changing. But idea-wise, I, I try to start with the idea that I'm trying to get across before I ever start writing the book so that I don't lose my way. You know, when I wrote The Five People You Meet in Heaven, I knew what I wanted to send a message about people who think they don't matter in life and find out how much they really do matter. In this book, it was about when we're in trouble, and bad things are happening, and we ask for help. We always expect help to come very quickly and look exactly like we expect it to. Like we're ordering a sandwich in a deli. You know, you give it an X amount of time, and then sandwich better be there, and it better look like the sandwich you ordered, or you get upset. Uh, but I found that in life we ask for help, and a lot of times we don't get it. We, we say, oh, you know, I wanted this to happen. It didn't. God didn't answer my prayer. The universe ignored me. And then 10 years later, you look back on your life, and you say, well, you know, because that didn't happen, I had to do this, and then this happened, and then I met my wife, and I wouldn't have, and we had kids. 
None of that would have happened if that didn't. So I guess that was the best thing that could have happened to me. Well, if it's the best thing that could have happened to you 10 years from now, it actually is the best thing that could have happened to you now. It's just that we don't see it that way because we expect our help to arrive immediately. So these passengers out in the boat, they may have the answer to their prayers and be able to be saved, but they say to this guy, well, you're the, they roll their eyes at him. They make fun of him. They go, okay, you're the Lord. What are you doing here? And he says, well, haven't you been calling me? And they say, okay, so what, you're going to save us? And he says, well, I can only save you if you all believe I am who I say I am at the same time. And, of course, they don't want to do that, and they don't because they think they can solve things. Or it just doesn't, this guy doesn't look right. So it's kind of a parable about accepting help when we ask for it, and uh, that I had in mind right from the beginning. The, the concept that there, it's it's in the lifeboat, it's happening in a lifeboat, uh, is is intriguing also because I mean, uh, look, you can go, you can go a lot of different ways um, with uh, with with ideas, but I mean, I, I imagine that many people feel like that. I mean, they're they're floating, they're in a lifeboat, they're in. I'm, I'm talking about us and everything that has to uh, right. uh, we have to deal with coming out of a pandemic. Uh, a lot of those thoughts might exactly. might be more appealing. Uh, did you write during the pandemic, or is this something you wrote before or after? Yes. And what I shouldn't say after. It's still no. Yeah, during the pandemic, I wrote it as part of that reason. I also operate an orphanage in Haiti. And I'm there every month. I have been for the last 12 years. I've got 53 kids that we raised there. And I wrote a lot of it down there amongst them. And I tried to imagine, you know, especially during the pandemic where everybody's calling out for help. And so many people have people in the hospital or people who are sick and please don't let them die. God. And I, I tried to think of the questions that, you know, Frank, if I disappeared from your program, suddenly my voice went like that. And suddenly a new voice came in and said, uh, Frank, Mitch is gone, but this is the Lord, and I'm going to give you 60 seconds. What questions do you have for me? Uh, I'm sure you would have some very quick questions, and I tried to put those questions in the mouths of these passengers on this raft. So, for example, at one point, one of them says to him, well, if you're God, do you answer prayers? And he says, I answer every prayer, but sometimes the answer is no, which is something I've found to be true. And at another point, they asked that fundamental question, which we all would ask, why do you let people die? You know, one guy who lost his wife, he's crying. Is why did she? Why did you take my wife? And the God character says, "Well, you know, when someone dies on Earth, people always say, why did God take them?' But maybe a better question would be, why did God give them to us? What did we do to deserve this wonderful time that we had, the memories we had with them? I know that you cry when your loved ones leave this Earth, but I can assure you, they're not crying. And I wrote that not just for the reader, but I wrote it partly for me as well, because my wife and I had, had adopted a, a little girl from Haiti at five years old, and she developed a brain tumor, and, and she died when she was seven. And I was extremely angry at the universe and God and said, you know, there can't be anything to believe in because anything good in the world wouldn't harm a seven-year-old girl. And, you know, over the last four or five years, I've, I've come to try to understand it maybe a little differently, that... We didn't lose a child. We were given one. And so some of these passengers go through the same thing. And I'm sure readers who have lost people in their lives are looking for that kind of comfort, too. And so I tried to offer that up in this story. 
Yeah. Again, if you're just joining us, uh, Mitch Albom and uh, The Stranger in the Lifeboat is his latest. Uh, it's latest. it's a novel, but uh, if you know his work, uh, you'll you'll realize that there's so much uh, depth and, and so many messages in there. The Stranger in the Lifeboat, everyone, is a must-get. Uh, Mitch, but before we let you go, I know a lot of people are willing to, to talk to you. I, did you did you leave a lot on the on the cutting room floor, so to speak? Well, there were a lot, and especially when you're speaking from the God character uh, standpoint, uh, were there were there things that you you debated about keeping in there, or maybe you took it out for space or or whatever? But were there things that you debated about putting in, and, and for some reason or another, you just kept it out? Yeah, uh, plenty. I probably. Uh, I wrote I write very small short books. You know, this one's like 270 pages in a small format. You know, maybe it would be less than 200 pages in a large format. And uh, I, part of the art of writing is getting rid of what you don't need and is cutting it down and saying that that's not important. And I, I tried never to overstep. You know, it's not a religious book, and it's it's not. You know, uh, I'm not quoting from the Bible or things. It's, it's a parable, like a fable. And so, you know, whenever maybe I drifted too much in one direction or the other, I said, ah, take it out. I, I learned that from Tuesdays with Maury, which was a very small book and had a lot of wisdom from my old college professor who was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. And, and, and I figured if I, can, if I can capture what's important in life and what isn't important in life once you know you're going to die and put it in a book that's 180 or 90 pages, then none of my other books need to be much longer than that because if you can get all that into a small book and, and his wisdom fit in that book, then maybe mine can as well. So I always try to keep them. I, I do leave a lot of stuff on the floor, but it's probably better off on the floor than in the book. Mitch, congratulations and uh, on everything on your on your whole career has just been amazing. Certainly on on this book, and we'll be talking about it as we let you go. And to you and your uh, you and your wife, God bless you for the time you spent with your daughter. And we're sorry about your loss there, but uh, but you're right. You were given you were given a child, and and uh, and hey, listen, God bless you guys. Uh, Mitch, can you give us a website or a social media site to uh, where we could kind of follow along with what you? With what you do, and um, uh, if sure, can. thanks. Sure, thank you. Uh, well, for me and my career and all that, it's very simple. It's just MitchAlbum.com, A-L-B-O-M.com. And our orphanage, that is really at the center of my life, and our fifty-three kids in Haiti. As you know, Haiti's going through a really yeah. tough time right now. Oh. Uh, you can find out all about that at HaveFaithHaiti.org. All one word: HaveFaithHaiti.org. Mitch Album, thank you very much for being here. My pleasure, Frank. Thanks for having me on. The name of the book is The Strangers in the Lifeboat. The Stranger in the Lifeboat. And, uh, yeah, just a very deep guy. Uh, He has sold almost 50 million copies of his books. Uh, You knew him from uh, his his, uh, time on, on, I knew him originally from his time on ESPN. And what he did there, and just you know, just you know, you look at at these folks, and you and you hear them talking sports, and you have no idea the depth that they have. Um, and you know, I mean, he you know he went on to be a novelist and, a, and an author, and uh, you know, obviously very spiritual, and wrote musicals. I mean, he is a true life. Renaissance man, and uh, his his charity work has been just just unbelievable, and 
uh, you know, Haiti, Haiti is a nightmare. I was going to say, what a, what a time to, to, uh, to deal with um, uh, people in Haiti, but it's always like that. I mean, earthquakes and, and uh, you know, uh, the plague and the virus, uh, how it hit them, underdevelopment there. Uh, anyway, Mitch Album has been our very special guest. Frank McKay here, signing off. Mitch Album is latest. Uh, everyone get it. The Stranger in the Lifeboat is his best-selling, number one best-selling author and uh, just a renaissance man, Rich, Mitch Album. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. <laughs>